The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, Psalm chapter 23. If you happen to have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We'd love to give you one after the service at the Connect table, totally free. And if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put the verses on the screen. Psalm chapter 23, probably the most well-known six verses in all of Scripture. And so if you've been around here for a little bit, we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes for, I believe, seven weeks now. And we stopped for Easter, and we're going to take three weeks just to focus on Psalm chapter 23. I believe that we can find um, hope and contentment in every season of life um, when we understand what the good shepherd provides for us. And I want to frame Psalm chapter 23 around this idea for us over the next three weeks. If you've been in church, never been in church before, you've probably heard Psalm chapter 23, right? It's the most famous and familiar verse in all of scripture, and we're excited to dive into it this morning. Now, if you live in Los Angeles, most of you do. I've met some people this morning who are from out of town. Have you ever been to the Getty Museum. You ever been to the Getty? Do you like art? Um, do you like art? Okay, maybe you don't. Well, if you've been to the, my kids love going to the, I love them going to the Getty Museum because it doesn't cost me anything. And so uh, I love free museums and um, they've been to the Getty Museum quite often. Do you know, I know you know the story. You live in Los Angeles, like the most famous museum here in town, named after J. Paul Getty. Do you, you know who this guy is, right? He was an oil tycoon. Um, and so in 1957, Fortune Magazine named him the richest living American at the time. Um, this reporter was doing um, an article on J. Paul Getty one time, and she said, Mr. Getty, if you retired today, do you believe you would be worth a billion dollars? And he replied, I suppose so. And then the next thing he said was sort of funny. I just found it funny. But remember, a billion dollars doesn't go as far today as it used to. <laughs> And I thought, wow, I, I, I don't know. I've never counted my billions. And I'm not sure if any of you have counted your billions, but I resonate with that statement a little bit. Uh, I think Americans should be the most content people on the planet. But sometimes I find myself in this sort of same mindset, sort of frame of mind as J. Paul Getty. Um, it's said that when he retired, I'm sorry, when he died, he was worth $6 billion. And today's uh, money, that's a little over $25 billion. Yet he said, it just doesn't go as far as it used to. Sort of this statement of not being content. I resonate with that statement. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us, God is giving us everything as it pertains to life and godliness and the ability to be content with what he has given. And yet oftentimes it's hard to find ourselves being content. Psalm chapter 23 is the contented psalm, if you will. David is the author here, and he finds himself contented with what God has given and how he shepherded him. And so I want to say it again, I want to frame this the next three weeks around this idea that we can find hope and contentment, regardless of whatever season you're in. And we seem to see three seasons in Psalm chapter 23. The first three verses, chapter uh, 23, verse 4 is the second season, and then verse 5 and 6 is the last season. And regardless of what season you're in, I believe if we understand what the Good Shepherd has provided for us, we can have hope. We can have contentment in every single season. Now, listen, I, I, I'm supposing this morning that there are no shepherds in attendance here this morning. Any shepherds in attendance? Probably none. Um, i got to be honest with you. I'm not familiar with sheep and, and, and the idea and the role of being a shepherd. In fact, the only time I've ever been around sheep is at the petting zoo. You know what I'm talking about? You've been to the petting zoo? The only time I've ever been around sheep. So I've had to do some research and study on this because 
in the first four verses here, David, who is the author, is speaking about this idea of a shepherd taking care of a sheep. And if you know David's story, you know that in his early childhood, in his boyhood, David grew up and spent a lot of time in the fields as a shepherd. In fact, when God called him, when he was called out to be the next king following Saul, King Saul, David was out in the fields shepherding the flock. And so we see this idea of a shepherd and sheep here that David's writing about. And then in verse 5 and 6, the idea sort of transitions from a shepherd to a sheep to this idea of a person who is hosting a group of guests or hosting guests. And David also could relate to that idea as well. As king, he often hosted people in his palace. And so, but here in Psalm chapter 23, the shoe is sort of on the other foot for David. Whereas he had the experience, he understood the role of being a shepherd to sheep. Now David is writing from the perspective as a sheep who is being shepherded by a good shepherd. And so David is writing this psalm as sort of his expression. It's sort of this, 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 this idea that, that he's writing about the confidence that he has in God's care for him. And so he uses this idea of a shepherd. One commentator said Psalm 23 is preeminently a psalm of privilege. It speaks throughout of what God has done for his people. David is not praying in this psalm. He goes on to say he's not asking God to do something for him in this psalm. Rather, he's rejoicing in what the Lord has done and continues to do in his life. I hope that over the next three weeks we're going to find out that God can provide this hope and contentment in every season of life, regardless of whatever season you're in. But for today, I want to title today's message, Walking with God in the Good Days. Walking with God in the Good Days. Now, Psalm chapter 23, starting in verse 1, we're going to make our way down to verse 3 this morning. And like we love to do around here, we're just going to go verse by verse. Psalm chapter 23, starting in verse 1, verse 1 says, The Lord is, what does he say? My shepherd. And then the very end of verse one says, I lack nothing. This picture of God being a shepherd, it's one of the most comforting descriptions of all of scripture of who God is and how he relates to us. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, we find these words. He tends to his flock like a shepherd. This is God tending to his flock who are us, those who know him. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart and gently leads those that have young. The picture that we see throughout scripture is this God who gives care to his sheep. When we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus using this same idea, the same role of shepherd and sheep. And he says of himself in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Later on in John chapter 10, he's approached by some of his critics. Uh, he's approached by some people who are skeptical about him. And they say to Jesus, if you are the Messiah, speak plainly to us. And Jesus goes on later on in John chapter 10, and he goes on to explain that he's not a shepherd to everyone. Everybody is not a sheep under his care and protection. And so the way he responds to those critics when they say, are you the Messiah? Speak plainly to us. Jesus says to them in verse 25 of John chapter 10. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. He goes on to say, the works I do in my father's name, they testify about me. But you do not believe because you're not my sheep. The sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. 
So according to Jesus, sort of this path to becoming a sheep under the good shepherd's care is to understand what he did, to understand who he is, to understand what happened on the cross and Resurrection Sunday that happened last weekend, and to trust in those things. Um, the previous psalm to Psalm chapter 23, Psalm chapter 22, if you've read uh, the, the psalms, you, you probably are familiar that it's called the Suffering Savior Psalm. In other words, Psalm chapter 22 starts out with this idea that God has forsaken the Messiah. He's turned away from him on the cross as he is dying in our place for our sins. And so Psalm 22 precedes Psalm 23. There's a reason for that. Because before you can declare that God is your shepherd, you must trust in the fact that he was a suffering savior for you. And so once we come to that resolution in our own heart, and understand that Christ died in my place for my sins, then we can say the same thing that David said about the shepherd. He said, the Lord is what? My shepherd. Why do you even say that? Why do you even bring that up, Pastor Matt? And the reason why I bring that up is because Psalm 23 is probably the most well-known six verses in all of Scripture. It's probably the most beloved psalm in the book of Psalms. And you've heard it if you've been to a funeral. You've heard it even if you don't typically go to church. But here's the thing. People often quote this verse because it's so serene. It provides so much comfort but the challenge is oftentimes people who quote Psalm chapter 23 don't actually know God as the good shepherd. And so here we are. David is emphatically personal about his declaration. The Lord, he's my shepherd. My shepherd. He's emphatic about the Lord being his shepherd. And then he goes on at the end of verse 1 to tell us what the nature of this good shepherd is. The nature of this good shepherd that he's talking about, that he declares to be his own, is such that we lack nothing. Now listen, I don't know what your Bible says. Um, I actually read from Psalm chapter 23, uh, verse 1, in the New American Standard Version, in my Bible on stage. I'm actually reading from the New International Version on the screens, but the NASB, and probably your Bible as well, reads Psalm 23, 1 like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, what? Want, right? You ever read that verse? As a kid, I read it, I'm like... I'm like, I, I totally missed the whole verse. I'm like, God's a shepherd that I don't want? Like, why would I not want God as my shepherd? Like, I didn't understand it as a kid. And then um, as I grew up and I'm, I'm 21 and um, my dad gets this terminal um, fatalistic diagnosis of cancer and says, you don't have long to live. And so my dad has sort of this farewell tour before he passes, if you will. He didn't have a lot of time, but he was invited to speak at some churches. And every time he would go speak at a church, this is the passage that he would speak from. And he would preach through Psalm chapter 23, and he'd get to verse 1, and he'd say, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he would pause at the end of verse 1 every time, and he would say, I lack nothing. Now, at the end of his life, um, he had trouble breathing on his own, and he would have to have oxygen. And, and so here's this man whose body has literally decayed in front of us who know him. His body is literally wasting away in front of those of us who know him. His terminally ill body in front of us. And he would stand up and say, the Lord is my shepherd. And even as I stand before you today, I lack nothing. It wasn't until I was 21 and my dad walked through this season that I really began to understand 
Psalm chapter 23 really began to define for me in, in front of my very eyes, my father's body and his presence on this earth. It really began to define what contentment as God, as my shepherd really looks like. Can I just ask you this morning before we move into verse two, who's your shepherd this morning? Who's your shepherd? Because I lack nothing looks very different oftentimes from most of the shepherds that sometimes we will submit ourselves to. Some of the shepherds that we submit ourselves to in culture and the things that we build our lives around will not find us in a place where we lack nothing, but they will find us in a place where we lack everything. Who's your shepherd this morning? Who's your shepherd and what is that shepherd providing for you? Psalm 23, the most well-known psalm in all of Scripture, probably the most six well-known verses in all of Scripture. We quote it often, but do you know the good shepherd? Psalm chapter 23, verse 2. David says, the good shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. Don't you, can't you see this? This is one of the reasons why we love Psalm 23. It's so visually, um, it's so visually appealing. Like we can draw the picture in our mind. He leads me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. I don't know if you know this, but apparently uh, sheep don't take care of themselves very well. In fact, um, those who work with sheep and those who tend to sheep tell us that they're going to die unless somebody takes care of them. In fact, some shepherds will tell us that uh, they're the most difficult uh, livestock. They require more care than any other livestock known to man. And so is, doesn't it make sense? understanding like who a sheep is. In fact, some, some people will say that sheep are the dumbest animals on the planet. Doesn't it make sense when we understand who sheep are? That when we read scripture and find out that scripture calls us sheep over 200 times, doesn't it make sense to us? Doesn't it make sense to us that, that, that we need constant care every single day? Isaiah 53 gives us the best picture of this. Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. You know this verse? We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. When we read Scripture, the only time we see sheep in a favorable light is when they're under the care of a shepherd. And when sheep are not under the care of a shepherd, we find sheep that are not content. We find sheep that are hopeless and helpless. Now listen to me this morning. Psalm 23 is going to remind us here, starting in verse 2 that the good shepherd will provide everything that's necessary for this day. The good shepherd is going to provide everything that's necessary for your life this day. David says, the shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. I read this commentary this week by this guy named Philip Keller. Most every pastor that preaches on Psalm 23, uh, most every commentator that makes mention of Psalm 23 refers back to Philip Keller. He was an actual shepherd. And he talks about this relationship of, between his role to those he cares for. And Philip Keller tells us that there are four things that, that are required for a sheep to feel like it's comfortable enough to lie down. One of those things is that their stomach is full. Their, their stomach is filled with the necessary nutrients for today. And so he goes on to say that sheep won't lie down. They'll never lie down until they've eaten enough. And when they finally have eaten enough, they'll lie down and they'll be content and they'll chew their cud. And then David goes on to say that the good shepherd also not only leads me um, into green pastures, but he also leads me beside quiet waters to drink. And so this reference here is not just a, to water that quenches the thirst, but this reference here is, is to this serene setting where our souls can be at peace. 
And so Jesus, the good shepherd, sort of reflects, sort of looks back on Psalm chapter 23 and listen to what he says. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so John here in John chapter 7 is talking about the Spirit of God. He talks about living waters flowing through him. John's talking about the Spirit of God that indwells you when you place your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior. The Spirit of God comes to live and dwell and lead in you. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about feeding believers. And some believers he feeds milk and some believers he feeds meat, depending on where they are spiritually and in, and in their maturity. And so we have this idea of living waters, the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God in this idea of feeding believers. And if you're wondering this morning how God is going to provide for you today, if you're wondering what's the means to his provision for you today, I want to say to you, it's never going to come apart from a steady diet of the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. And God's shepherding in your life. It's intimately tied to these two things. God's shepherding in your life is intimately tied to knowing him deeply through his word and following the spirit of God in your life. The spirit of God, according to the scripture, empowers us to live holy lives. The spirit of God gives us hope in times of trial. The spirit of God, Acts chapter 13, guides us. The spirit of God, 1 John 2, teaches us. The spirit of God, John 14, gives us help and comfort. And so like this good shepherd that gives sustenance for their bodies every day, the sheep's bodies every day, we have Jesus, the good shepherd. And he offers us full provision to nourish our souls, this living water, this milk and this meat to nourish our bodies. Um, over the years, I stopped counting um, several years ago, but over the years, I think I've led something like 30 different teams to different countries on mission weeks and mission projects. And a lot of those mission projects are in third world countries. If you've ever been to a third world country, part of the training process in going to a third world country involves the first rule of understanding. Rule number one in a third world country, never drink water from the tap. Number two, never drink food and uh, never eat food from the street carts, right? And so in all these trips that we've ever led, part of the training was, listen to me, I know you think you're invincible and I know you think nothing can harm you, but do not drink water from the tap and do not eat food from the street cart. Inevitably, inevitably on every single trip, some teenager thinks nothing can, nothing, not, I'm invincible, right? They brush their teeth and then they lean up underneath the tap and they drink the water. And then the next day we're out in the streets and we're ministering to people and somebody wanders away to the food cart and they buy a couple empanadas and that night they're puking their brains out. They're puking their brains out, hugging the toilet. Why? Because their bodies are not adjusted. Their bodies are not adjusted to that sort of polluted water and that sort of food. Philip Keller in his book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, says sometimes... Stubborn sheep will not wait for the clear, pure water that the shepherd is leading them to. They stop to drink from the polluted potholes along the trail, contaminated with the manure and urine of previous flocks, and it satisfies their thirst for the moment. But it will eventually riddle them with parasites and disease, and it's the price they pay for instant gratification and not following the shepherd to clear water. That resonates with me. That resonates with me. 
not wanting to wait on the Lord to fulfill my needs in the moment. Wanting to be instantly gratified, a quick fix, instant happiness. And so I go for the polluted potholes. I go for the polluted water. And I say, what can it hurt? What can it hurt? And sometimes those decisions to not wait on the good shepherd to provide for my soul. There, there are instant uh, ramifications, but sometimes there are delayed consequences when I don't wait on the good shepherd to provide for my soul. Can I say to you this morning, the good shepherd is for your joy. The good shepherd is for your contentment. And the path to that joy, the path to that contentment is learning to walk by the Holy Spirit of God and feasting on a steady diet of his word. I would love to think that 30 minutes every single Sunday is going to be enough diet for you for an entire week. It's not. It's not. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you this morning to feast on the Spirit of God leading your life. Feast on the Word of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they will be what? Filled. The Good Shepherd provides everything you need for today. He provides everything you need for today. Now look what else the good shepherd provides in verse three. Verse three says, he refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. The Hebrew word here for refreshes, which is shub, gives us this idea of a turning back. The idea of a turning back. It's worthy to remember here that David is the author of this psalm. And if you know David's story, David often gave in to times of temptation. David was familiar with frustration when his enemies were pursuing him. David was familiar with times of hopelessness and helplessness. And so David is now not speaking from the perspective of a shepherd. He's speaking from this perspective of a sheep who needs someone to turn him back. He knew what it was like to experience defeat. He knew what it was like to experience frustration. He fell into temptation and there's this old English shepherd's word for a sheep that's turned over on its back. If you know this about sheep, when a sheep turns over on its back, it can't turn back over itself. And this old Englishman's shepherd's word for uh, a sheep that's turned over on its back is called a cast down sheep. A cast down sheep. And Philip Keller says, a cast sheep is a very pathetic sight. Lying on its back, its feet in the air, it flays away frantically, struggling to stand up without success. Sometimes it will bleed a little for help, but generally it lies there lashing about in a frightened frustration. If the owner does not arrive on the scene with a reasonably short time, the sheep will die. Keller goes on to say that a cast-down sheep is susceptible to predators. Buzzards and coyotes and dogs and cougars, they know that a cast-down sheep is helpless, cannot turn over on their own, and they are subject to death immediately. It's the week after Easter, and I'm grateful that you're here this morning. And I don't know, maybe, if you find yourselves cast down from the Lord. You know what I mean? I don't know if you find yourself sort of walking at this guilty distance from the Lord for whatever has happened in life. There may be a million different circumstances. Maybe you find yourself cast down from the Lord and you've been walking away from the fellowship of the body of the flock that God shepherds here in his church. I don't know. Maybe you come into the week after Easter and you are cast 
down. Can I say to you this morning, I believe it's easier than we want to admit to find ourselves in those places. And when we find ourselves as a cast down sheep, can I say to you, that's a place of grave danger because the enemy knows you are susceptible to defeat. And by the way, people make really bad choices when they're in grave danger. Do you know that? And so maybe you find yourself cast down this morning and maybe you have this idea today that if you are cast down, then God's looking at you like he's fed up with you. He's disgusted with you. He's angry at you. But when you read Psalm chapter 23, we get a different picture. It could not be further from the truth. Can I say this to you today? The good shepherd provides restoration from everything that happened yesterday. Turn back. When God says he wants to restore you, he wants to turn you back to a place where your soul can finally be refreshed where your soul can finally be nourished. If you find yourself cast down today, can I say to you, don't think of the Lord as being angry. Don't think of the Lord as being fed up. Don't think of the Lord as being at the end of his rope with you. The response of God to you is that you are cast down and I want to turn you back. And the Lord wants to provide for you for whatever happened yesterday. We say it often around here. If you are here today, if you have breath in your lungs today, If you have breath in your lungs today, it means that yesterday was not final. And if you're cast down, God wants to turn you back. And I want to say to you, that's only possible. Not because you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, not because you tighten your belt a little bit tighter and you embrace the difficulties of life. It's only possible because Jesus embraced the cross on your behalf and the good shepherd can shepherd you in paths of righteousness. He can lead you along uh, to quiet waters. He can put you in green pastures because he suffered the punishment in your place. Now, God provides this turning back in your life and for you and on your behalf. He can restore you primarily in one of two ways. The first we've already mentioned. Primarily, God wants to restore you through his word. Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, turning you back. And then the scripture goes on to say the second primary way that God restores you, that he turns you back, is through his people. The scripture has this record that God has entrusted to people who are spiritually mature the ministry of his word to help restore straying sheep. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If you've ever been under the assumption that what we do on a Sunday morning is this religious ritual, this, this experience that just happens habitually, and maybe somehow you've convinced in your own mind, you've believed in your own heart, that simply by your presence, the scales are going to be weighted in your favor this week simply because you participated in a religious activity. Maybe you've convinced in your heart that if I show up on Sunday, it's not necessarily connected to my soul, but it's just a religious activity. I want to say to you this morning, I want to commend these very thoughts to you, and I wrote them down, and I want to say I'm very precisely as I wrote them down. Sitting under the teaching of God's word and living in fellowship with other believers habitually and regularly is not only good, but it's necessary for the restoration of your soul. God's not after you. He's for you. And he wants to turn you back. And the primary way he does that is through his word through other believers who help restore you gently. 
And you should not neglect those things. Now let's finish out what verse 3 says in Psalm 23. After it says that uh, God refreshes our soul, he goes on to say, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Um, Philip Keller tells us that sheep are these habitual animals. They continue to do the same things over and over and over again. And if they continue in their habitual ways, and eventually um, they'll follow the same trails and they'll create ruts. He says if they continue to graze in the same pastures, then eventually those pastures become sort of wastelands. And he says, if they continue to graze in these same pastures and walk in these same ruts, then they'll eventually pollute the ground until it's corrupt with disease and parasites. And so they have this preference for these favored spots, if you will, these well-worn areas of a pasture. And so what happens is if they never move out of those well-worn ruts, those same pastures, then the pastures and the sheep become infested with disease and parasites, which means eventually the sheep and the land, they become sickly, they become thin, and they become wasted. And so the good shepherd has a safeguard for that moment in your life. Rather than getting in these ruts and rather than polluting yourself by these same ways, the good shepherd has a safeguard for you. And his safeguard for you, like it is for the sheep, is to keep the sheep moving. To keep the sheep moving. A good shepherd safeguards his flock by keeping sheep on the move. Can I say to you this morning, the good shepherd has provided everything you need for today. The Good Shepherd has provided everything to restore your yesterdays. And finally, according to Psalm chapter 23, the Good Shepherd provides for all of your tomorrows. Now, let me not skip over this too quickly, and I'm almost done. And Tyler is going to come out. I want to frame this entire passage around these two thoughts, and I want to read them to you. The path that is guiding you, the path that God is guiding you into, this is a path called righteousness. And the reason why he's guiding you and leading you down that path of righteousness, the scripture says, is for his own name's sake. You say, Pastor, I'm in this moment a little more concerned about my career path. I'm a little more concerned about my financial path. I'm really, really a little more concerned about my relationship path. And I want to say to you, all of those paths are not disconnected from the path of righteousness that God is leading you down. But, but God has chosen to bound up his name in your walk. He's chosen to connect who he is and identify his holy name with your journey. And when we walk outside of those paths of righteousness, the result is that it's God's name that gets slandered. It's God's name that gets abused. There's this class called Perspectives in World Religions. And near the end of this class they begin to unpack what they call dog and cat theology. <laughs> and this is how they break it down. A cat says, my owner feeds me, he cares for me, and he cleans up after me. I must be God. He said, a dog says, my owner feeds me, cares for me, cleans up after me. He must be God. That's why when you walk in the house, a dog will maul you in love, and a cat will sit there on the couch and not even acknowledge your presence. And I, I think oftentimes in the church and 
in, in this idea of Christianity that we have, oftentimes we're way too feline in our theology and much less canine in our theology. We say, well, God loves me and he's for me, so I must be the point. I want to close this this morning because you may miss everything in Psalm chapter 23 if you don't understand this. And I want to strike a delicate balance this morning, especially after everything we've sung this morning about the love of God, the reckless love of God for you. We need to strike a balance here. And understand that when you're the point, everything in life falls apart. Let's draw this to a conclusion. And I want to say to you this morning, we've got to get over us. That's a difficult saying in a city like Los Angeles, where our calling cards are our own brand, who we are, what we do. And God would call us to this place where he says, you've got to get over you. Because this is about me. This is for my name's sake. You're not the point. And whenever you think you're the point, there's all these voices in your life that are going to distract you. All of these voices that are going to tell you, you are the point. But if you'll ever get over you, God says, there's a better marriage for you. Because unless you get over you, then you're going to look at your spouse like she's the one that's supposed to provide for everything in your life and every need you have. And she's your servant and he's your servant. And they cannot do that. You're thinking you're the point, just going to continue to breed conflict in your relationship. Unless you get over yourself, you'll never be a better parent because it's not about you. As a dad who's got now two kids playing sports, I cringe being at the ballpark, finding a parent who thinks that everything their kid does on the ball field is a reflection of who they are. So when the ball goes between their legs or they strike out at the plate, they believe they're a reflection of me. And oftentimes, a parent who thinks it's all about me, they'll escalate the situation. They'll lay their kid out there on the field. Why? Because they're a reflection of who I am. Because I'm the point. So the volume cranks up. Jabs get cranked up. A father lays out their kids. And you watch this guy and you say, oh, he thinks he's the point. Unless you get over yourself, you'll never be a better parent. You'll never have a better marriage. Unless you get over yourself, you'll use others. When you're the point, you're easily angered. You're easily bothered. I had this experience this week. I confess before you. I bought something off eBay recently. And the seller did not fulfill his end of the bargain. In fact, what he did was against the law. And so this week I called eBay and I was angry and frustrated. And I thought, well, surely eBay will solve the solution because they provide a buying and selling relationship. Surely they won't provide a platform where people can break the law. And I came to find out, they said, there's nothing we can do. And I got, I got mad. I got angry. You got to solve my problem. You see, when it's all about you, you feel like you've got the right to be angry. You feel like you've got the right to berate a telemarketer on the phone who's supposed to be helping your situation. When it's all about you, you're easily bothered. You're easily angered. But if you get over yourself, then you become free. You get over yourself, you can extend grace. When you get over yourself, you can rest at night. When you get over yourself, you're able to breathe. When you get over yourself, you can sleep better. When you're over yourself, 
you're happier. When it's about you, you'll never experience contentment and joy in every season of life. Yet the good shepherd says, I'm for your joy. I'm for your contentment. But you need to remember, it's ultimately about me. And when you find your identity in me, you find your ultimate joy, your ultimate contentment. And some of you know what I'm talking about this morning. Joy and contentment is fleeting. I want to end with the anti-Psalm chapter 23. Now next week we're going to look at verse 4. The week after we're going to look at verse 5 and 6 in two different seasons than this season. Verse 4 is a season in the valley and the difficult times. Verse 5 and 6 is the season of conflict. Today it's a season in the good times, in the good days. The anti-Psalm chapter 23. Let me just, let me just read the anti-Psalm for these first three verses. Rather than the Lord is my shepherd, the anti-Psalm says, I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. And yet the good shepherd speaks to us in Psalm 23. He says, you can experience hope and contentment today because I'm going to provide everything you need this day. I'm going to provide the shub, the turning back for your yesterdays. And I'm going to lead you in the paths of righteousness for your tomorrows. If you would just trust in the good shepherd. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm confident this morning that there are many of us present today who need a turning back, who need to be restored and refreshed. God, can we confess our sin before you today and trusting in ourselves? God, can we confess that too many days it really is about us. God, can we also confess that because of that, contentment and joy seems fleeting. Jesus, thank you that you bring us back. Thank you that you restore us. Thank you that you turn us back this morning by the Spirit of God, by a diet of your word, by believers who gently restore us, Lord. God, thank you for the fellowship of believers. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who guides and leads us. God, may you turn our hearts this morning. May you bring us back to you as the good shepherd today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.